I'm Lee Henson Hasty. I'm Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development for the Presbyterian Foundation. I'm here. This is part of also my podcast, uh, Leading Theologically, and we have a great guest today who leads, lives, functions theologically, God at the center, uh, um, and I'm just so grateful to introduce her to many Presbyterians. The Episcopalians out there know her like you know, household name, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, or many millennials, at least, and probably more. Um, and I'm just glad to have you here, Dr. Courtney Cowart. I hope I can call you Courtney. Of course. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thanks. And um, you've been hosting some conversations, too, with the Society of Increase of Ministry, right? Um, tell, just say a minute, a word about that first, because people might want to tune into those. Right. Well, we were talking a little bit about this the other day. So um, the Episcopalian counterpart to your organization is called the Society for the Increase of the Ministry. It was founded in 1857. Wow. And um, we... Y'all were ahead of us. You were a little bit ahead of us. <laughs> we were pretty early, even in the scheme of things on the Episcopal Church side of things. So um, we have a long history um, that has good points and bad points, actually, sure. challenging points. Um, but uh, we, um, our main focus has been giving scholarships to folks who are going to seminary um, for a long time. Um, however, we've reclaimed another side of the original mission of the society, which was a broader leadership um, role. And so we've been doing these leadership um, conversations on Zoom during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's... We did not consult about that. We did that independently. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and um, so it's great to see this kind of coming together today. Um, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a learning curve for us. Mm -hmm. And, but it's, but it's been really exciting. I had a board meeting on Monday and a lot of the energy in the conversation was around um, the ability to have a greater impact um, in the areas that we're focused on because we're both funding people who are going to seminary, but then we're also giving all kinds of folks with wisdom around leadership a platform mm -hmm. for their voice Beautiful. And, you know, it's so democratic. There, there's so few barriers to, you know, to anybody joining these conversations. And right. so I, I think it's powerful. And the synergy between doing scholarships and hosting leadership conversations, when it, the way it comes together, like last week when we were, were working on a conversation around anti-racism and, you know, we're also funding these beloved community scholarships to diversify the leadership of the church. So when you see these things come together, you start right. to realize we can really have an impact. So it's well, relevant. And I love the way you phrase it, too. And, and I, ever since I've, I've known you in 2010, I can't believe it's been that long, 10 years, um, uh, we met at a credo. Thanks be to God for credo, the Episcopalians, the Presbyterians, we, we call them to that. Um, but, uh, you know, you have been invested, and in, I think society for the increase of ministry, SIM for short, um, 
is invested in the future of the faith. You sometimes say that. And I think that we're, we're in that too, the future of the faith. And that's hopeful. Today's conversation is about hope in the aftermath of tragedy, which you have experience in, you've written about. Um, folks, uh, THMA and THD from General Theological in New York, Courtney Coward, but also experience on the ground, literally, there in New York at St. Paul's um, on 9-11-2001, um, when you, did, you, were, you were convening a conversation with Rowan Williams and others about something else altogether, and obviously... Um, things changed and shifted. And then um, also part of the recovery relief with um, in, in New Orleans, there's just so much for, we'll talk some more about this because there, there's a lot in the midst of tragedy where hope can come through. And part of it is talking about the future of the faith and these young leaders, I think is um, part of that hope. Thanks for nodding <laughs> for the folks just listening on audio. But, um, so, um, Let's just, let's just jump right in. I, I wonder, I, I start these conversations, I've told you around call. Um, you were also on the staff at the uh, now called the Forum for Theological Exploration, you know, invested in curriculum kind of work around discernment um, and just lead that beautifully. I participated in one of those workshops with you. Um, what is it that is... Um, uh, the work your soul must have, Katie Cannon said, or Howard Thurman, um, who was a mentor, I think, for, for Cannon, is said, what is it that makes you come alive? Um, and I was noticing the last chapter of the book, um, American Awakenings, I will post that in the, in the thread there, is called Live Like You Were Dying. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it has, you've thought about this question, about what makes you come alive. In, in ways maybe others have not? Well, you know, I think it's something we have to, a great question. I mean, I think it's one of my favorite questions in the world. And um, I think that's why, partially why I'm drawn to the discernment work. Um, but uh, it also is a question, I mean, the answer to that question changes over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would think probably the way I would answer that question today um, in this context, particular in the middle of this pandemic and in the middle of this, you know, huge national reckoning around race, um, you know, uh, would be different probably than I did. Um, I would have answered that question in the midst of 9-11 or Katrina even. Mm -hmm. um, but, there's, but there's a piece of it that actually kind of um, lives with me across all of it. And, um, you know, my, my, my doctorate is in ascetical theology. So, I mean, and I remember before I knew what ascetical theology was, um, a very old, older priest from England asked me what I wanted to study in, in seminary, and nobody had ever asked me that question, and I was trying to find the answer, and I said, um, I, I guess I, I want to I study how people become holy. Wow. 
And he, he said, um, he said, oh, my dear, you want to study ascetical theology? And I went back and looked at it from my Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church. And sure enough, I was like, yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. it. That's it. And I think, um, you know, across my experiences in, um, in the aftermath, and, you know, right through from the day itself of 9-11, and um, all that um, ministry and that extraordinary community that came together at Ground Zero, um, you know, to reclaim the site and to help heal one another. And then again, you know, to see America show up in the Gulf Coast and do the work of, of healing the communities, um, you know, and the deeper work of you know, engaging in healing, trying to heal the the legacy of racism and 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 that and those communities that was so much a part of Katrina, and um, you know it's holy work. And you see people when they really really hurl themselves into that kind of work, you see people grow and change and become holy, become holier. You know, and um, and I just have a passion for wherever it is that you can stand and see that happening with large groups of people in dramatic ways. It gives me hope. Do you do you have plants, Courtney? Do I grow plants? Yeah. Do you have any plants? <laughs> but here's what I'm thinking. I mean, the image I have for you, and you just sort of said it in terms of what gives you life, mm. is watching others mm. grow. You know, it's like you're standing there making sure they're properly watered. I mean, um, and the right fertilizers that you're and and you're noticing. You're you're the kind of person um like my 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 wife she'll 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 be so embarrassed maybe she talks to her plants you know <laughs> somebody who just is constantly saying like you're doing okay you can do this you know <laughs> i see you as that kind of person and even in with this current work and each of the places i'm thinking you've been folks um if you didn't see the images if we put them up there from saint paul's chapel courtney was involved with those really like taught like preschoolers and others bringing their prayers in crayon and and literally wallpapering every square inch of the inside of the chapel i mean that was part of some holy work you were doing right it's still i can see it even as emotional to you as you start to see it you know the children the children were doing that holy work yes I mean, no element of that incredible container for healing for mm -hmm. the recovery workers that was a more powerful healing mm -hmm. element i think in that space mm -hmm. than than the children's letters and drawings it was wow. you know they were true sacraments right yeah beautiful so hope for you it seems to be in that noticing um especially in the tragedy noticing um, people are asking, how has hope, that definition changed for you? It seems like it has to do with continue to do this kind of aesthetical the theological work um, of noticing, naming, um, maybe documenting, uh, encouraging this kind of holy work. Is that, how has hope 
get redefined with you or, or has it, has, has it changed like call? I, I suspect it has. Well, <clears throat> you know, um, Jim Goodman, who you also know, right. um, who, who works with me, it's, um, um, <clears throat> he and I still do a lot of work um, hosting groups of people from congregations and um, in different walks of life through the church, um, walking them through processes that, um, you know, help create a framework and a space for deep reflection and for kind of discerning where our individual vocations overlap and create patterns that maybe point us toward our collective vocation and where mm -hmm. we're being called by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and, it's, not you know, just, it's not just me, it's we. It's how are we being called. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of the work of Marshall Gans and you know, he, he, he developed something he called public narrative and, and you know, part of that is the story of, of me you know, but then, and then, but then another part of that is the story of us and how those two things, how my story connects to a bigger we and our story, right. um, which is where, you know, you really start to see um, the potential for us to move mountains, you know, right. Together. right. And that's something you see, you know, you can really see that in concrete ways in the context of disaster ministry, you know? Um, so it's, um, I think that's part of why I was drawn to that or, you know, strangely placed in the midst of it, you know, in ways I never would have anticipated twice. Um, and, but um, it's such important, it's just such important work and you, it's, you know, it's why. Well, and geographically, I mean, you were in, you were literally, you know, within eyeshot <laughs> uh, viewing of the Twin Towers and then right in the midst of the Katrina relief, that was geographical. But now, and I, I bet you could have never anticipated this, <laughs> I mean, in New York, but not just New York, just in our nation and our world in the midst of another, you know, multiple pandemics um, that are happening, um, the protest, um, the coronavirus um, the polarization. I mean, you can name a lot of things going on right now that are just uh, deeply troubling. They're not, they're not exactly the same. They're, these are, these are not planes flying into things or, or waves coming in, but it's, it, it's definitely a trying and tragic kind of time. So how are you thinking about that now? Um, what, what does that look like now um, from what you've learned? And um, you know, what, what should we be looking for and noticing? Um, we have a lot of folks who are ministers are out there watching. I'm, I'm not all sure who's watching, you know, and listening, but a lot of folks who are church related, Episcopalian and Presbyterian, I guess today. You know, I mean, I've been a big, you know, proponent of adaptive change. And I, you know, I, I love, innovation and uh, it's another piece of the the context of of ministry and chaotic times that has been you know that has drawn me because 
when we're cracked open and we're challenged deeply in, in ways like we are now and have been before, um, we're much more open uh, to uh, embracing change and our, our mm. motivation to be creative and innovative and, and to find new ways of, um, of doing the things we're called to do just seems to be really highlighted. Right. And surely we have seen that um, with, I mean, this conversation right now would not have happened probably. No, probably, sadly, but probably not. You're right. And, um, and the ways that churches have adapted, um, you know, I was, I was doing some discernment work with a congregation last Sunday and we're, you know, they're doing some visioning and strategic planning. And uh, one of the questions we were asking them in terms of what they needed to let go, the last one was around, you know, what, what fears did they need to let go of? And one of the big responses mm -hmm. was that people were afraid that when they were no longer meeting as church online, mm -hmm via zoom that they would they would drift apart again wow <laughs> that's like a flip isn't it <laughs> isn't <that> fascinating <laughs> right you know, we we worship in pews looking at the altar not looking at each other it's so much more meaningful when we're looking at each other right right uh, you know and there were more examples like like that but they they were just saying that they actually found the way, you know, many elements of worshiping online, you know, more life-giving and more relational even right. than, than worshiping in person. Wow. That is a fascinating. Well, I mean, I mean, the prayers in the chapel, I mean, the, the way you, you talk about it in your book, um, you know, the, the millennial showing up over and over and over again um to to help with hurricane relief i mean those are things that don't just ha you know um necessarily happen um in you know any old day right they happen because there was a need and and it does it does crack i like what you talk about it cracks open new possibilities and not everything is great but there's we we should be taking note of what what is working and what what does is life-giving i've i've heard of folks like i could never come to church here because we moved to the next state, but now I can, you know, and how, how important that is, is we've not been able to find a church home there. Um, so there's lots of possibility, you know, in this, in this kind of time that could be taken, taken forward. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think because of the isolation mm -hmm. that people have had to en endure and try and cope with the best they can, um, there is such a high valuing now of connection. Mm -hmm. Right. That, some really good stuff has got to come out of that in my mind. Mm -hmm. right. that we have this, this deep, deep, you know, almost, I think, visceral kind of embodied understanding of the fact that we really are connected and we really do need each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, our humanity demands that we be connected. Um, and isn't it interesting that we would, you know, that we would 
I think, come to deeper understandings of that part of our humanity, um, the need for communion. Um, right. You know, that, I mean, just a whole host of things around that, um, that I think we're, you know, that will be shaping us and forming us for a long, long time to come. One of our listeners, Glenn Bell, who's now a colleague with me at the Presbyterian Foundation, um, liked the allusion to Marshall Gans and asked, where is the power and prospect of hope in our story just now? And I think that's sort of what you're describing is, um, I don't know if he's making an allusion. You, you've read Gans more closely. You know him, I think. I haven't met him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's kind of a hero of mine. So I was a little starstruck when I got to meet him. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the power, the power and prospect of hope in our story just now sounds like it's in the, is, is this kind of noticing and this connection the nurturing of relationships? Um, you know, I have actually, uh, I had, I was talking to my, one of my colleagues this morning and, and, I'm writing, I'm writing more handwritten letters than ever. You know, I had to get a whole nother, <laughs> you know, and, and, and making more just plain phone calls because people are a little zoomed out. Um, and that, that seems actually hopeful. A few more, you know, text messages, a text thread. I mean, these are the kind of things you're talking about is take notice of that kind of holy work that's yeah. happening that we were not doing before. Um, maybe not everything, you know, it wants to be the same, but there's a lot that can, can sort of um, be something we should carry forward. It's not just the birthday parades, which those are pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's another common thread through all three disasters in the beginning of the second chapter of the 9-11 part of my book. I talk about the day I went back down to the site after being there that morning through the collapse and everything and mm -hmm. running for our lives and getting out and then going back down to figure out what we were going to do right. and had been shell shocked for about four days. And I had, I had just kept hearing over and over and over in my head, this, this mantra kind of, um, and it went only people, only people matter, only people matter, only people, mm. only people, only people matter. Only mm. people matter. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that is one of the great lessons of tragedy. It is a huge reminder of um, kind of the primacy mm -hmm. of um, connection and relationship and, you know, charity cherishing one another and communion. Mm -hmm. Right. And I truly think, you know, we lived through that in one way at 9-11. I think most people here will remember that. You know, we, we reminded of it in another way after Katrina. And that's kind of seared, you know, mm -hmm. seared on our souls too. Mm -hmm. And we're living, living through it again. You know, so what is it? What is it we're supposed to learn here? <laughs> the people. I mean, it's the people. It's the relationships. I mean, I think it brought us back together too, which is I'm grateful for, and and particularly the kind of common work and mission we do. And um, it, it gives opportunity. I feel like space. I mean, for me, 
and for anybody, I mean, sort of routines are upended. I'm working here from my home office, you know, um, I'm not on the road traveling. Um, I'm guessing you're not either really. And it, it does have more opportunity in some ways to, to nurture those connections and notice um, others and who they are and what they're up to and, and name their gifts um, in ways we couldn't do before. There's, there's just no doubt about it. I, um, I mentioned the last chapter of your book, uh, Live Like You Are Dying, which was taken from a number one country song by Tim McGraw. I love that. <laughs> I had to listen to it this morning. Um, if, if there were not copyright, you know, things, I'd probably play it right now. So everybody go and look it up, listen to it. But it has a great chorus. And I have to ask, I have to ask, it starts as I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. <laughs> uh I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, I gave forgiveness, I'd been denying, and said someday, I hope you will get a chance to live like you were dying, and just answers that question uh, over and again, and it does, it's that kind of opportunity of forgiveness, and loving deeper, and speaking sweeter, um, and I have to know, have you ridden that bull yet for 2.7 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that book. My good friend John Meacham has written a book with Tim McGraw, and they have done they did a big tour around the United States together, which is it was kind of an odd couple. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I just you know, I guess it's a little corny in a way that I, you know, ended the book with that. Except it just said it. Just said it. It just said exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that the sort of, you know, bottom line, takeaway, life lesson mm-hmm. um, that, you know, happened to me at 9-11, you know, part of the awakening, you know, was brought back to in Louisiana and, um, you know, and here we, here we are again, um, I do think that when we confront our mortality, you know, it just, it just really, really helps us get very clear about what matters. About what matters. Clear about what matters. And, um, and it's in that, that relationship with each other and with God. And, and you obviously are living that way and the kind of investment you're making. I just want to say thank you. Uh, especially what you're doing with Society for Increase of Ministry. Um, I think it is a, an investment into the future um, and to leadership. I love the beloved communities, um, beloved community kind of scholarships you're doing um, and investment in that. I hope we'll stay in closer touch. I want to, I want to work together into the future and um, uh, I can't wait for that. Um, and I, you know, uh, you also mentioned that chapter about look for the helpers, right? That that was that was from our friend Mr. Rogers. I, I brought him along today too. <laughs> he stays with me. That's the most famous pres. Do you know he's a Presbyterian minister? That's our most yes. famous Presbyterian. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that, that quote of his has become so widely 
known and you know and repeated right um since i wrote the book in 2008 it's really interesting to see how people you, hold on to that you were you were ahead of the curve you were ahead of the curve i can't believe we're already at the hour and i know you've got other things going on today i appreciate you squeezing us in uh today and i'm so grateful again for you and all that you do um Friends, we'll, we'll be back in two weeks and uh, look for us here on uh, Leading Theologically. But before we go, uh, Courtney, would you be willing to charge uh, and bless us today? Sure. I thought I would do that um, by reading the very end, um, a, a quote that ends the 9-11 portion of my book. Um, it's a quote from one of our volunteers at St. Paul's Chapel, and it was um, something that she said as we closed the chapel um, at the end of the recovery and look towards the future. Mm. And, um, and this is what she said. And I, I just invite everybody to think about what she said as a kind of charge um, to all of us still today mm -hmm. as we go forward from here and as we continue um, to do God's work in the world in today's um, context. So Ula said, it is only an end if you see it as an end, but I would like to see it as a beginning. Mm. We've all been in training here and we've had a very powerful training. It's as if we've been given a torch now we have to go out into the world, each to where we belong, and bring the torch with us and take it from here to where it needs to go. Now we need to have the courage to move forward and move on and somehow allow the transformation to happen and translate all this into our lives in whatever form it needs to take. Let's allow the change and let's allow the change to take place in the way it needs to take place. It might not be dramatic, it might be subtle, but let's not forget the lessons we learned from this. Let's not go back to where we were. There is no going back anyway. Right. Hallelujah, amen. May that be. Thank you so much, Courtney. I look forward to watching some more of these <laughs> beyond. Thank this you. Thank well, you for inviting me. My my pleasure. And let's yeah, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, now we're on podcast leading theologically. Um, we'll we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Um, and uh, and God God bless you and and the work that you do, the ministry you do, and and on your leadership. Thanks. God bless Lee. Peace, everybody. Bye.